Um, but I thought before we started, we would show you a, a, a quick video here and, and a couple of pictures just to set this up. So I'm just going to hang right here, but just turn your attention to the screen here and let's see if this helps give some context for today. I'll be honest, the first time I saw that, I was like, I, I don't think that was real. I don't think that worked. There's, there's a couple of pictures. Let's throw this up there. Anybody seen a picture like this? You, he's not actually eating the guy. Um, throw the next one up there. Anybody ever feel like this? <laughs> you just feel like there's a vice grip. What, what do you see here? Anybody see the picture of the man or woman? It's hard to tell. Anybody see the word liar? See liar? It's, I'm going to step over here. L-I-A-R, liar, down, written down the screen. Some of you, all you can see now is liar. All right, next one. What, what do you see? Theater? Nope, no, nope, that's actually a church. Amen. I got an amen out of that. Thank you, Alan. What do you see right here? This is an arrow. Nope, this is actually the FedEx logo. Anybody ever seen the arrow in the FedEx logo? Right here, anybody ever seen that? Let me just tell you that I hope it haunts you like it haunts me. Every time I see FedEx now, all I see is the arrow. Someone showed me that, and there's only an arrow now, and the arrow delivers packages. I have no idea how that works. Everybody, you, you received when you walked in, you received like a, we call it a worship guide here, but a bulletin or something. Pick that up if you've got that in your hand. I want you to look there on the front. There's kind of like a, an eye chart looking kind of thing there. Did anybody see that that read 2020 Ephesians chapter 2? Anybody? No? You can look back here. It says 2020 Ephesians chapter 2. That's, that's our, our series over the next three weeks. And what we're talking about is we're talking about perspective. We're talking about the idea that if you have the wrong perspective, it colors everything about the way that you see life. Once you see the arrow in the FedEx logo, you can never see the FedEx logo again without focusing on the arrow. Or at least acknowledging that it's there. If you ever come back, if, if we find a permanent location at some point and we move to that permanent location, you ever come back here to see like guys and dolls or whatever, whatever they do here, I don't know. You're going to think, man, I was a part of a church that met here in this. It just, your perspective changes. The way that you view things changes because of your perspective. Perspective is a, is a funny word. It has many different meanings and many different connotations which it can be used. But I wanted to define it a couple of ways here. This is two different ways that you can define perspective. These are the non-art ways. So if you're, you're art or photography, this is a little different. A way of regarding situations, facts, etc. and judging their relative importance. So a, a way of looking at something and seeing a situation or a fact or something related to some situation there. And you're trying to then judge of that situation, which of those facts are most important. And so your perspective changes because you then focus in or focus out of one of those aspects of that situation. Another way that it could be defined is this, the proper or accurate point of view or the ability to see it, it's objectivity. So the proper way, you now have the ability to see the arrow between the E and the X of FedEx. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, you're going to need to go Google the FedEx logo because you have no idea what I'm talking about. But once you see that, now you have the ability to see it. Your perspective has changed to where you now see the image, the, the thing that's a part of that. Now, perspective has many meanings in the world of art and photography and the things that are done visually. And we saw some of those on the screen. We saw, you know, the idea the woman was holding that, that vice grip. She was holding that out in front of her. But the perspective of that, the way the shot was taken, it looked like that thing's right on her temples, just squeezing the life out of her. Evidently, she has a preschooler living at her house like I do. 
Um, you, you, the, the guy holding the other guy. No, the guy was like way at the other end of the yard. But the perspective, the way the focus of the lens and the way the shot was, was done there, it looks like something else is happening because the perspective has changed. And perspective is everything. Perspective is everything because, like I said, it is the filter, the lens by which we view everything else. Once you have a, a, a perspective on something, once you have a perception of something and how it, how it looks and what its importance is and what the focus should be on or what the focus should not be on, that's the way you, you approach everything in that situation. Perspective, it really colors our relationships with one another, doesn't it? Because sometimes we interact with someone and our first meeting with them is terrible. And you meet that person and you think, man, they are the rudest person ever. That's what I thought when I met Ron Brown for the first time. I mean, I was like, gosh, this guy is so... No, I'm just kidding. I pick on Ron. He picks on me. But man, you're just like, man, I, he's so rude or, or she's so rude or she, or she is so arrogant. I don't understand this. I'm not sure what's going on. And every time until, you, until something changes that perspective, every time you interact with them, you, you interact with them through the filter of they are so arrogant. They, they are only consumed with themselves. And your perspective colors that entire relationship and every interaction. Some of the situations, we go to our jobs and there's, there's things on our jobs and details and, and relationships there and things that we're asked to do. And our perspective, somewhere in our past, something happened to give us a perspective about that job. And we view that job as, man, this is an incredible opportunity for me to affect change. Or your perspective is, man, I'm doing nothing here but ruffling papers or delivering pizzas or I'm, you know, I'm teaching nine two-year-olds or and your perspective filters now every opportunity you have to deliver pizzas or teach those two-year-olds or ruffle the papers because your perspective gives you that point of view and it affects everything that we are and everything that we do and in my opinion just my opinion here the the largest place that we see perspective in our lives is when we look at our past when we look at our past or the pasts of other people, we get a perspective there. We get a view of that. We get a focus about what is important and what's not important. And we see that and it shapes everything else about the way that we view ourselves and we view others. We have these mirrors hanging here. And one of the reasons that we do is because all that you and I have as it relates to concrete understanding of our lives is what's already taken place. We look in the mirror and we see ourselves. And when we look at the physical us, we also in that view get the emotional us and the psychological us and the spiritual us. And we see all the things that have already taken place. We, we carry with us, we wear on our face and, and, and on the way that we walk and, and the way that we carry ourselves. We wear with us the memories of all the things that have happened. It would be incredible. And some people have this ability. If when we looked at ourselves, man, we just looked at that and we said, man, I've got such great potential. Those people annoy me. Right? We look at that and we go, man, I am, I am destined for something great. No, because that's just some wish and some dream and we're putting our hope in something else. Right? But we have these concrete understandings of what's already taken place. And so that really shapes our view of ourselves. It shapes our view of how we're even able to interact with other people. Because it's our perspective. Like I said, my opinion here, but I believe our past is where we lack perspective or we have a distorted perspective in the way that we view it. And I think that's what's happening here when we look at Paul who has 
written to this people in the city of Ephesus. If you've got your Bibles, you can flip to Ephesians chapter 2. We've been kind of tracking through the book of Ephesians for the first few months of the year here, and we're going to kind of track through Ephesians for the rest of the year. We won't, we won't do it every week. Uh, we'll jump and skip around a little bit, but we're going to just kind of track through the book of Ephesians. This is a letter written by Paul, who wrote a majority of the New Testament. And Paul is writing to a church that he established in the maybe the middle way or two-thirds of the way through the book of Acts in the city of Ephesus. And so now he's past that, he's, he's moved on, he's, he's in prison, and he is writing to them to help them bring some clarity to some things that they are uh, working through in their church. There's now a people there that have formed a church, and they're forming a church, and, and he's writing to them to help them get some clarity and some understanding about some of these issues. And, and what he does here is he kind of addresses, in the first few verses of Ephesians chapter 2, some past things. But I think before we get there, we have to understand in my... There again, I'm going to give you my opinion before we go to Scripture, which is absolutely true. My opinion kind of wavers sometimes. I think there are three groups of people when you look at your past. I think there are just three camps. And you're in here this morning. You can kind of figure out where you land. The first group of people are the people that are negatively impacted by their past. They're, they're just... When they look at their past, it defines them. But not in a good way. They are negatively defined and impacted by what they have done, who they were. And I think that breaks down into who I was, who I knew, and what I did. Either, either you were somebody you're not proud of, you knew and hung out with somebody that wasn't good and good influence on you, or you did some things that you hope nobody in this room ever finds out about. Or if you know they will find out about it, there's no way to hide it, then you tell that story, but not in this triumphant, look what God did in my life, but hey, I just want to kind of give you a heads up. If you ever hear this about me, it's true, but here's why. It's not as bad as it sounds. I was only driving the getaway car, right? I mean, whatever you've got to do to temper that story so they know, hey, I spent 11 months, at, you know, whatever. You want to make sure you get the story out there before they hear it from somebody else. But one group of people are the people that are negatively defined and impacted by their past. The second group of people are the people that hated history in school. You just look at it and you go, hey, it's the past. The past is the past. Let's move on to the future. You don't understand why we got to learn the presidents and the dates and the names and who did this and who did what. We don't care what happened back there. We're moving on. Better days ahead. Let's go. Right? I got one of those in my family. Again, annoys me. I mean, we're just looking to the future. Let's not even worry about what's happening. Let's press on. Let's, you know, buckle up. And here we go. Right? Because what you're saying is it, it doesn't matter. I can't change it. I can't do anything about it. There's some things that were good, some things that were bad. But hey. We are who we are. No regrets. Let's go. It's all about the future. It's all about what's going to happen next. I'm not saying that's completely unhealthy, but I think there are a group of people that fit in that camp. You're not negatively defined by your past. You could care less. It's just your past. It's your story. Let's move on. The third group of people are the people that are proud of their past. I mean, you look back there and there's some things you want to make sure some folks know. I mean, you were all county in seventh grade JV wrestling, and that's a big deal, Right? You won the second grade spelling bee, and you're still a pretty good speller. And you attribute that to the fact that you can spell comfortable, right, in the second grade. I mean, you're just going to make sure they know that. Yeah, my dad took us to Europe all the time. I mean, you know, when I was a kid. I mean, it was no big deal. Like, we went all over. I hate those people. Can I say that in church? Is it okay to say that? I don't like those people a lot, but I hope they make it to heaven. Whatever. I don't know what I'm supposed to say, but they annoy me. I mean, it's just the idea that they're going to let you know... That back there somewhere, they were a pretty big deal. And 
what you see now may not measure up to that, but they've got the medal from all county. And that's a big deal. They're proud of their past. So you've got these three groups. You've got, I'm defined by it in a negative way. I hope no one ever finds out. You've got this kind of, I'm, I deny it even existed. I mean, it's just there, but it's not a big deal. It's not important. Let's just leave it back there. And then you've got these people that like, hey, you want to talk about what we did in high school all the time? Can we do that? Can we just talk about that? Because I had perfect attendance in fifth, sixth, and seventh grade. Right? We're just going to talk about it all the time. So those are the three camps, and I think Paul addresses those in Ephesians chapter 2. I don't know if there were any county wrestling champs in Ephesians 2, but I do know that he addresses these three groups of people. So let's jump in. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is what he says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, there's a few words that we read here. Let's leave this up on the screen. There's a few words that we read that tell us this is past tense. I'm not real smart, but I can see those. You were dead. You once walked. Uh, The spirit that is now at work. Okay, that's not it. Uh, (laughs) We all once lived all right? And we were by nature. So there's some past tense words there that tell us that when Paul is writing to these people in that day, he's saying, here's some things that happened in your past. They may not be true today, but here's some things that took place back then. And there's some big deals that he, he addresses here. I mean, there's several things that as he's talking about this, I'm sure that as they're reading this aloud at the church, everybody's looking around going, I wonder who that is. I wonder who did those things. Not me. I'm, I'm good. I, am, I came early and set up this school into a church. All right, so here's what it says. He says that you did a couple things. You were dead because of your trespasses and sins. But he goes on to talk about how they were living, how they were walking around. So they're literally talking about here, you're, you're dead men walking. You had some dead things in your life, your sins, your trespasses. They kept you dead in this world, even though you were living. That's, that's kind of a big deal, but, you know, okay, we'll just kind of let that one fly. He says the other thing that you did is you followed the course of the world. You, you kind of followed whatever the trends were. You just, with the breeze, I'm just going to kind of be a part of that. The other thing that he says that you did is you followed the prince of the power of the air. Now, this is not just talking about the devil. There's implications here in the original language that talk about demonic spirits, spiritual warfare, spirits of the air, evil spirits. So it's not just like, hey, you were dead. You didn't have purpose. You didn't have life. He's saying you were controlled, some of you, by demonic spirits and and followed the enemy in anything he said. You followed the trends of the world. That's a big deal. He talks about being a part of the sons of disobedience, carrying out the desires of your own body. The things that you wanted to do, you just did it. You didn't care what the consequences were, who it affected, what happened. I'm going to do those things. And the last thing that he says there is that they were a part of the children of, of wrath. Now that's a big deal again because you have these two groups of people. We're going to deal with, this, deal with this in about three weeks. You have these two groups of people that are blending together to make this church. You have the Jews and the Gentiles. We've talked about this a little bit already in this Ephesian study. We have the Jews and the Gentiles, and it was it was easy to understand that the Gentiles would be subject to God's wrath, but not the Jews. The Jews were sitting here in this almost self righteous way, saying. He's not talking about me here because I'm a part of God's chosen people. 
I'm, I'm in. I mean, have you ever heard of Father Abraham? He's mine. I'm a part of that. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, all of us were by nature subject to God's wrath. He's kind of blowing up this Jewish entitlement as it relates to this church and the way that they understood how they were to interact with God through Jesus Christ. Once you accept the message of salvation through Jesus Christ for God the Father, you understand that you are not entitled to anything except God's wrath. And you accepted it because you wanted to not be subjected to it and you wanted to receive that grace. So he's kind of blowing this thing up. He's saying to the, to the Jews and maybe even some Gentiles that felt like it didn't apply to them. Hey, listen. Yeah, Father Abraham, but remember Adam? Remember Eve? Remember the fruit? Remember the sin? Remember the banishment? You are still banished. And because of that, there is a wrath from God that you're subjected to. And you need to know that. So he's kind of setting up their past here. He's making everybody feel good about themselves. It would be if I were to stand up here today and say, okay, the Lord gave us some supernatural uh, insight into your lives, and we're going to throw some things up on the screen about the things that you've done in your lives. The thoughts that you're thinking right now, actually. Some of you would get up and walk out, right? We're going to just tell some stories here of what you've done, and and that's what Paul's doing here. He's setting up their past. He's, He's writing this letter to the church, and in some instances, what this would be done is just read aloud to the church in the corporate gathering, just like this. And Paul's saying, listen, you guys were dead. You just followed the world. You were controlled by demons. You did whatever you wanted to do that fulfilled your own desires, and you didn't care what anybody said. And because of all of those things, you were subject to God's wrath. And if the gospel ended here, it would be incomplete. If the story ended here, it would be incomplete. And if you and I left this morning, most of you would not come back because there is no hope here. There is nothing here to say to you that you do have a future and that you are not defined by your past and that you can just ignore your past. This right here says you have to confront that past. It's a part of your story. It's who you are. If your perspective is filtered through this lens, you're in trouble. If your perspective is, yes, this is who I am. I come to church, I'm a Christian maybe, or I'm trying this out, or I've been walking with the Lord a long time, but this is me, this is my story right here. And I'm focused on this, and every time I try to get free, I come back to this. Every time I come down and I want to pray in the altars here, I'm doing my devotions, this is what I'm thinking about right here. The enemy's always bringing up this stuff right here, that I was dead That I did whatever I wanted to do. I still struggle with that sometimes. That the desires of my own nature, of my own flesh, they're what guide me. And I don't know what to do. If this is your perspective, then you're in trouble. Except that this passage continues. And we get to verse 4. And this is, I'm telling you, when I was kind of writing through this, I got so excited. I felt like I was watching North Carolina play basketball. This is what it says, verse 4. But God... You could stop right there. We're going to come back to that, but I'm telling you that those two words make the difference. Okay? Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And going back, he raised us up with him, 
and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. See, the problem for many of us is that our perspective, our focus is on us and our past and our mistakes and our shortcomings our trespasses and sins, our following the ways of the world, our being controlled by other things, our being controlled by our desires and our nature. But our perspective is wrong. We have to focus on God. Have you ever had a but God moment in your life? I mean, you've ever, you ever had something that was just going bad. It was going in the tank, but God showed up. Genesis 1 tells us that the earth was formless and void, but God said, let there be light. We see that in Genesis chapter 6, the earth needed to be kind of restarted. There was sin and pestilence everywhere, and God was was ashamed of the things that were happening, and he, he was going to kind of start anew, but God told a man to build a boat. Can you imagine that conversation? God says to Noah, however he chose to speak to him that day, he said, hey, Noah, I want you to build a boat. Noah said, absolutely, I'll do it. What's a boat? He says, well, it's what you're going to live in while it's raining. Noah says, awesome, what's rain? I mean, that's, this is like God ordained, stepping into the story, making it happen, but God had a plan. David is standing before Goliath, representing his entire nation against the enemies of his nation. No one else would stand up to Goliath, but God was with him. Gave him the skills and the courage to stand in front of the enemy, to find some stones, to to throw them at the enemy, the enemy to be defeated, so that God could orchestrate the plan for his people, so that they could continue to become a nation. You had at the end of Genesis and into the book of Revelation and through Deuteronomy, we have the story of God's people eventually getting into captivity among the Egyptians. And they were enslaved there under oppression. But God softened the heart of Pharaoh for a moment through sending plagues. He rolled back the water so that the people could walk across on dry land, come out into the desert to eventually inherit the promised land. Because God had a plan. Yet Jesus Christ show up in the Gospels of the New Testament and encounter people that were deaf and dumb and blind and sick and dead. But God and his great power working through Jesus Christ allowed them to be healed and literally raised from the dead. We live in a world today that is dying all around us. And we see the signs and we see the signs of the times that we read about in Scripture when we watch the news. But many places in Scripture, including the book of Revelation, which we studied with our pastor a few weeks ago. say that God steps into that and says, this was my story all along. But God had a plan. Jesus came to earth and, and taught and did amazing miracles, which we just talked about. But eventually he was put on a cross to die. And he did. And he went to a tomb. And he stayed there dead for three days. But God raised him up. So you come in today and you say, those are incredible Bible stories. 
What does that look like for me? Well, you walked in today and you don't have a job. Guess what? But God. You say, well, my finances are in trouble, but God. You say, my marriage is, is, is in turmoil. There's, there's fighting here. We, the, what we fell in love with, we don't see much anymore, but God. You say, marriage, I'm single. I would love to get married. There's no great prospects in my future, but God. I hate my job. I have a job, but I hate it. I have no purpose in life, but God. You say, you don't know my story. You don't know what I'm about. You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the things that I'm ashamed of. I am defined by my past. Guess what verse 4 tells us? But God. If you don't walk away with anything today except that, it's enough. I saw this week where a guy said, if you take God out of the equation... It's like having a gun with no bullets. It's like having a sugar-free Krispy Kreme donut. It just doesn't make sense. (laughs) The story is not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. So what does it say about God? And we talked about our past. What does it say about God? Throw the second verse back up there, verse 4 through 7. You know what it says about God? It says that he is rich in mercy. That he possesses great mercy. Love for us. It says that even while we were dead, which we talked about, he loved us first. It says that he made us alive. It says that he saved us. It says that he raised us up. He gave us an eternal future. And it says that he wants to show us off. Not for our glory, because it's not about us, but for his glory. Guess what? The story is not about you. And if your perspective is on you, or your past, or your present, or your future. That's not the story. The story is God. Your past, it's about God. Your present, right now, it's about God. Your future, it's about God. Heaven is about God. Everything that we are, is about God. I want the band to come. So we kind of define three groups of people that I think Paul was addressing here. He was addressing, you know, the people that were defined by their past and the people that just kind of ignored their past. And he was defining those people. He was also saying, hey, there's some of you that you're pretty proud of your future. Let me just address that for a minute. Because if I'm not careful, there is a time that this self-righteousness kind of rises up in me. And I hear messages like this, and man, I think, yeah, man, if, if I had an ugly past, whew, this would be good for me. But I, I'm a pretty good person. I was a pretty good person. You know, I, in my life group a couple weeks ago, we were just kind of sitting around, and we were just started talking about our stories. And I said, you know, what, what's your story? Where did God bring you from? What did God do in you? And I said, don't be afraid if your testimony, if your story is not, God found me naked in a ditch, strung out. My youth pastor had that testimony. And every time I heard it, I thought, man, that's incredible. But that's not me. I've never been in a ditch. I've been naked, but never in a ditch. Right? And so if that's your story and you're just like, hey, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And you look at that. Let me just tell you, you are a part of 
verses 1 through 3. By your very nature, you are subject to God's wrath. Jesus told a story in the, parable, in the Gospels. It was a parable, and I'll just paraphrase here. He said, hey, there was this landowner. And one morning, he stepped out, and he said, hey, I need some workers. And a couple guys went with him, and he says, hey, if you work for me today, I'll give you a dollar, a denarii. I'll give you a dollar. They said, great. They go and work. A couple hours later, he goes back out and loads up the truck with a few more guys. They come back. A couple hours later, he goes out and gets a few more guys and comes back, and they work too. And right before the end of the day, he goes out and gets a few more guys, and they come and they work with him too. And at the end of the day, he starts paying those guys that showed up at the very end first, and he gives them a denarii. So the guys that showed up in the early morning, they're thinking, wow, he's increased our pay. And then the guys that showed up second to last, he gives them a denarii. The guys that showed up in the middle of the day, he gives them a denarii. And the guys that showed up first thing in the morning, he gives them a denarii. And the guys in the morning said, hey, I I don't understand. We, We worked way longer than those guys. And the landowner says to them, didn't I give you what I promised? You know when I read that story, what I think? I think, I kind of put my, I'm I'm an early morning guy. I kind of been walking with the Lord a while. I think I'm entitled to a little more. I don't think it costs as much grace to cover my sins as it does someone else's. And you know what I think Jesus was saying through that story that God is speaking to us today? We're all the same. Every one of us. We just need God. We just need God in our lives. We need the same thing that anyone needs. The grace and mercy and love of God. And so maybe today you are in that first group. You are defined by your past. They're going to throw this up there. I just think you should cross that out. And I think you should be defined by God. You should just find a way. That when you read this passage and any other passage in scripture that starts to remind you of the things that you were, you remember that in your life there is a but God moment. And that's who you are now. And if you've never had that moment, we're going to pray in a second. And we want you to experience that but God moment in your life. Maybe you're in the second group and you say, yeah, my past, it's in the past. Let's just move on. Let's move on to the future. Here's what I would say to you. Let's let your future be decided by God. Find your future in God. Don't, don't think that you can just move past it and create your own deal and blaze your own trail. No. God, according to verse 4, 5, 6, and 7, says that he has a future for you. He saved you and raised you up so that he could show you off, not for you, but so that as the world is crumbling around us and falling away, he could point to you and say, you see that one right there? My grace was enough for him. You see her right there. She wears this scarlet letter of the worst thing that she ever did. My grace was enough for her too. Because your future is about telling God's story. Or maybe you say this morning, I'm pretty proud of my past. I'm a good person. I've never really done a ton of bad things. And some of them I did, but they're not really bad. And you say this morning, "I, I am proud of my past. You know what I would say to you? I would say, let God be proud of what he's creating in you. It's not a play on words. I'm saying if you look back and you say, wow, look what I did. I'm saying let's just position you to say, God, what could you do in me? What is it that you're trying to create and do in and through me for your glory, for this world? That's apart from you. None of us are exempt. Every one of us needs a but God moment 
we need the riches of his mercy and his grace to cover us. Because without it, the only perspective we have is who we were. And that's not who you are. You are found in him. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. The band's going to sing. They're going to they're play. And this is not one of those, like, let's stand and clap and sing with them in this moment here. We'll have a moment to do that as we leave. But this is a moment where you just kind of check your heart. Like I said, if you're in that first group and you're defined by it, or you just kind of ignore it, you're looking forward, or, or you're kind of proud of it. Can we just change the perspective this morning? In this moment, as they sing, would we just acknowledge that we need God in our lives? That my story is his story. My life is his life. My past is him working in me. My future is him working through me. Can we refocus that? And so as they sing and as they play, would you just kind of in your own way right here, just kind of meditate on him, think on him, repurpose yourself, commit some things back to him. Repent of a prideful, self-righteous attitude that says, I'm good enough on my own. And let's think about him. If today you just say, hey, I need God. I need him in my life. I need him to forgive my sins. I need his rich mercy and grace. I need to be saved. I need a future. I need a purpose. Right where you're sitting, nobody's looking around. Would you just lift your hand? You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Anybody else? You just say, I need that but God moment in my life. If you would admit this morning, another group of people, I kind of find myself in this camp if I'm not careful. You say, you know what, I... I kind of think I'm the early morning vineyard worker. I'm, I'm entitled a little bit. I've got a little bit of self-righteousness that peaks up. And I want God to help me. I want to just see myself as this grace-receiving sinner. Finding victory in Him. Would you raise your hand? You put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. God, we love you today. I, I, I start my prayer that way just to say we do. As we sang in the worship song right before the message, we just turn our eyes to you, the giver of life. And in this moment, we just acknowledge that we need you. We need you. We don't need anything else but you. Some of us walked in this morning with really scary, ugly, scarred, hurt-filled pasts. God, would you administer grace there, healing there, forgiveness there. Help us change our perspective to see you at work. God, for those of us that came in and we were just pointed towards the future, God, let us find our future in you. Help us to look for ways that you are working in and through us for your glory and for the sake of others. For those of us this morning, we raised our hand, or maybe some that didn't, and we just, we don't feel like we're that bad a person. We don't feel like we've ever done a whole lot in our past that we're ashamed of. God, would you just 
Forgive us of that. Convict our hearts when it creeps in. God, help us to understand that we are by nature children of wrath. Subject to your justice, but free to receive your grace. Let us do that today. Let us live in that way when we leave this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.